What's up, party people? This is Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot with myself, Robbie the Wagner, and my co-host, Chuck. Mm-hmm. That's it. Chuck the Chuck. Charles W. the Third. I could be Charles the Chuck, I think. Anyway, you're off. You should be something easier to, to spout off. Unless you can get Charles William Carpenter the Third as your full handle. I guess it's too long. Yeah, I've tried quite a few different variations there. Be like, when I rage quit all of social media years ago, I really screwed myself. So You could be like Chuck Bill Carp. Mm, carps. That's actually what we do. <laughs> Our nickname with some of my wife's friends are Carps. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. It's easy to say. Yeah. So I guess that's food for thought. I'll keep that in mind. It could in- Yeah. Just ask, tell ChatGPT, my full name is Charles William Carpenter III. And I would like something shorter to be a Twitter handle. What do you suggest? It'll probably say, I don't know, but. Mm. All right. Uh, I'll think about that. All right. I think at some point they're going to marketplace out some names. I've heard the, uh, rumors that Twitter is going to like wipe out a bunch of unused accounts and put some of those names like in a marketplace or something. At the very least, wipe out unused accounts. So at least put them back in the ether. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It's too late for me, though, because Robbie Wagner is an unused account. Like, I think they have one follower and posted one time or something, but on every other platform, it's not free either. So like, I've got to be the same everywhere. So unless every platform wants to do that for me, right? it's going to be a problem. All right. Well, let's get to some whiskey before we go too far down social media handles and which ones actually are valuable. Yeah. Tell us about this super small batch whiskey we have today from... Yeah. From Tennessee. The Scottish Highlands. The Scottish Highlands of Tennessee. The Appalachians, maybe? Yeah, that's true. Appalachian. Appalachian. If you're from there, you say Appalachian. Okay. Usually. I'm not, so you can tell. (laughs) The old number seven. So we decided we need to have increased diversity on the show. Obviously cognizant of that within our guests and the topics that we talk about. We don't want to talk about JavaScript all the time alone. And we don't want to drink the same old $60 six and seven whiskeys, right? Like we need to set a better precedent and a baseline and kind of go back to the roots. Although I never really drank this before. Jim Beam was mine. Oh, cheap whiskey of preference. Yeah, I actually do like Jim Beam. Yeah, I could start with some white label and go up. So anyway, so yes, this is Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey, old number seven. It's uh, aged a minimum of four years because it's technically a bourbon, except for they maple flavor it with the charcoal filtering. It's got a mash bill of 80% corn, 8% rye, and 12% malted barley, and is, of course, a tiny 80 proof. It's basically water. I appreciate how they know what they are, and they say, let's not even put a cork in it. Let's just make it a screw top, Yeah, and like, let's make the outside that seals it up very easy to open. Like, mm-hmm. when you're buying Jack Daniels, you really want it to be quick to open so you can drink the entire bottle in one second. Right. That's, uh, I think, the idea. When you're opening <laughs> this bottle, there's a good chance that you recently already had another bottle, and so you need it to be easy. <laughs> it's an interesting point that you make here because I'm like, you know, we have our Glencarns for tasting and all of that kind of stuff. But in a way, I almost feel like I should be having it the way most Jack Daniels drinkers would have it. And I would think straight out of the bottle, (laughs) and I'm going to have my first taste in that same way, or mix with Coke, and I don't want to do that for this purpose. That's just basically saying, I don't like this, and I just want to get drunk on Coke. Yep. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to do it legit, but (sighs) yeah, you should. we'll see how yours goes. And I'll do it more normally. I am smelling it first, though. It smells like an old dive bar with like wood panels and like <laughs> Miller High Life neon lights. That's what it smells like to me. So what I'm smelling is some big league chew with hints of self-loathing and despair. I think there's <laughs> some of that. <laughs> the hints aren't that subtle though. Yeah. They're very, yeah. No, there's, oof. okay, bottoms up. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean... There's really not much burn. It's not much anything. Yeah, it's, I mean, it has a little sweetness in the front. Pretty light. Like, you get some corn flavor, and you get a little bit of, I can see the maple sweetness. And that dissipates. And then it kind of tastes like fall leaves. Like, if I put up some fall leaves in my mouth and crunched them around with a, a little maple syrup, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, so... Whatever I'm getting, it's very watered down. 
but mm-hmm. I would describe it as, so I used to do this thing called Destination Imagination, where we would, it was uh, like the, it used to be Odyssey of the Mind, if you've heard of that. Oh, yes. But it was like this thing where you like, sometimes you build stuff, sometimes you do like little skits, whatever. But one of the things we had to do was build balsa wood structures that had to hold weight. Hmm. And it tastes a lot like that process smelled, like cutting the wood up and putting glue and chemicals on it to hold it together. It's kind of what this tastes like to me. Okay. Yeah, I can see. It does have a chemically, like, I don't know what their process around maple flavoring the charcoal is, but I, I wonder if it's natural or not. I don't know. I mean, you would. I guess you would assume they haven't really changed their process since whatever it is, 18-something. No. It does say on here. Ironically... Is it? I think it smells very good. I think it tastes much less good than it smells. Yeah. I mean, it does smell, to be honest, it does smell a little bit like maple candy, you know, right? That kind of. Yeah. Like I would take a candle of this one. Yeah, it'd be okay. I'm not going to ingest the candle, but. (laughs) So this has won seven gold medals since 1904. When do you think the last time they won one was though? Wait, just seven? Like, was it? Just seven cents. That tells you how bad it is. It's 114 years later and then we've gotten seven. I mean, there's like some good small batch ones get like four or five in their first year making it. Like, yeah. And to be fair, they do offer other variations, right? Yes. Like they've got some fancier versions. Yeah. And perhaps like a Pepsi challenge there would be interesting. They have ones that are age dated. I believe I saw a 12 year. And then they have like the fancy one with the uh, silver on the front. Didn't we try one of those? Gentleman Jack. Yeah, maybe that. I think that's the one that uh, Frank Sinatra used to drink, right? Mm, I don't know. But yes, all of those are much better. We wanted to start with the baseline just to, you know, be fair to all the other things. We're going to have a series. It's sort of like the under 30 series of things that are usually at the bottom of your liquor store, you know, but nothing in plastic. I think that's too far. Oh, yeah. Nothing in plastic, but I'm willing to try a lot of stuff that's like 15 bucks and in a metal bottle. Yeah, because like glass is always like, in my opinion, it's the kind of the same price, right? Like if you're the manufacturer, it's the only reason you use Mm. plastic is just because it's less messy. You can't shatter them. It's easier to move around, whatever. Yeah. I think I'm starting to understand why rock stars could just chug this straight out of the bottle. I mean, it looks tough, but it's actually not that hard. Yeah. It's it's got a pretty mellow flavor overall. I think I actually get more burn off of like hypnotic. What's that? Like, (laughs) oh, you don't know hypnotic? No. It's um, the like super fluorescent blue liqueur. I don't know what flavor it's supposed to be. Some kind of berry or something. Oh, I think I've seen that bright stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was popular in like a couple of rap songs. So, you know, as you do, you have to buy some. Did it become the new like Alizé or something? I forget what song it was in, honestly. But like anytime something's mentioned, like Bacardi from like Into Club, Mm. always had to get Bacardi from that. Mm. And then like Moscato had its day of like being cool in rap songs. Like, yeah, I just drink all the things they say are cool or used Fair. to. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, outside of like mixed drinks, I ever like just drank Bacardi. I remember having shots of 151 on fire dropped into beer that you have to chug. What was that called? Like a flaming Dr. Pepper or something? That sounds right. Yeah. 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 We used to go like you could buy Everclear from South Carolina. So we used to go there and get like, you know, the Wait, basically you, 100% alcohol. Can you not get that in Virginia? No. Oh. You can get there like, they're one that's like 150 something, like close to the 151. Right. But that's like the highest proof you can do in Virginia. Oh, yeah. Because it's... They uh, have some weird thing about it being really explosive and they don't like that, but... It is, yeah. It's, it, well, we like that. <laughs> anything over 135 is considered hazmat or something. Mm. I believe that's what it is. So because there's like issues with shipping certain liquors or like trying to... Yeah, I don't know. I remember there was a version of George the Stag Jr. that was like 136, and they call it the hazmat version mm. because it officially qualifies as hazmat material. <laughs> so, you know, maybe putting that in your body's weird. But the thing is, is, I mean, I, I had stupid college days where you would chug some Everclear and then chase it with anything you could find because it was disgusting. Yeah, it says right on the front of Everclear not to drink it straight. Yeah. And I heeded that warning. Like, I would still drink it, but I would mix it with something because yeah. it's like, I'm not going to melt my insides. No, it's not great. 
Uh, it's probably why I have an ulcer now, but uh, I do use it to make limoncello, actually, which I haven't done in a couple of years, but I used to make yeah. limoncello every every spring and have that as a nice, you know, but you're just having a little bit, tons of sugar in there. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, the fun part about Everclear is like every shot of it that you have is like two shots. So if you put like four shots of Everclear in a drink that's really sugary and you drink like half of it, Yep. You can stop drinking and mm-hmm. still be getting drunker if you just wait <laughs> because it's like so concentrated. Right, yeah. I always thought that was fun. That is kind of interesting. Exactly. Like if you're just smart and it's efficient too, you know, because it's not very expensive. Mm-hmm. So if you really are just like, I'm trying to get the effect, you can have one drink and be done. Yep. Food for thought, <laughs> folks. If you, <laughs> you know, the economy's crazy these days. And if you're trying to <laughs> cut back on the the cost to buzz and you don't care what it tastes like we suggest everclear hey if you put enough kool-aid in anything it's good right <laughs> what's that stuff called like jungle juice or whatever where you oh, yeah. be a bunch of fruit and everclear we used to make that yes what we're letting our audience know is we made a lot of bad decisions perhaps unless of course everclear wants to sponsor this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you could take a whole thing of kool-aid that would make like you know I don't know, 20 gallons of Kool-Aid and put it in five gallons of jungle juice. And it doesn't matter how much liquor you put in there. It's going to taste good. Right. Yeah. 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 And then you don't know it's a creeper in that way. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, let's uh, circle back to rating this. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. So how are we supposed to rate this? This isn't necessarily a bourbon. I guess it's an American whiskey. It's mildly flavored. Yeah. And bang for the buck. Okay. You go first. Yeah, so the things it scores well in are being easy to open. I didn't have to shatter the bottle to get it open. Yep. It smells really good. I get good points for that. The taste is where it loses me, though. It's very watered down. Doesn't really taste like much. Like, if you mixed it, which we used to do, mm-hmm. I remember tasting it when I mixed it, but I feel like if I mixed it now, it would be like nothing's in there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of uninteresting middle of the road. So I'm going to give it a three, I think. Okay. Okay. I think you make some valid points in terms of ease of access. Smells fine. I'm not really a big sweets person. So to me, it it almost feels like, like those weird, like apple whiskeys and shit like that. You know, we had that banana one, although the banana one was much better than this. Yeah. So, you know, it gets points there. It's not horrible, right? It's like, right. I guess drinkable. If this was my option, only option, I'd be like, well, I can get by. Yeah. I can see like, if my choices, if I was looking at a bar and I was like, I want to make a drink, a mixed drink, because I wouldn't necessarily call it a cocktail, and then I saw this or rum, I would probably pick the rum if I was going to have, you know, Cuba Libre with a little lime. Especially if it's a dark rum or spiced yeah. rum. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably go that way instead. So I'm trying to categorize it like that. Like if I was having a simple mixed drink and I don't have a lot of options, would I reach for this? It's not bad and I could have it, but it's not great. And I would probably pick rum instead. So given that, I'm going to give it a two. It's just a two for me. Okay. It's a lot of branding hype, and it's just fine, I guess. Yeah. All right. I'll have another swig. <laughs> sure. Chuck is committed to this. He's just drinking straight out of the bottle. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to feel like a rock star, and rather than learn an instrument and, <laughs> and create an image for myself, <laughs> I figured this is another gateway to it. So yeah. we'll see. Maybe we should have saved this for the 100th episode. Go like really ironic and do not a good whiskey for the 100th episode. But then Ryan could show us how to just chug the whole bottle. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I thought, yeah, right. Because, I mean, he's the closest thing to a rock star I think we've experienced in our guests thus far. Yeah. So, very solid point. (laughs) Pun intended. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, let's bore the folks with some technical discussions. Where would you like to start, Robbie? Well, you have a lot of random stuff on here. I know. We don't even have to do all of them. Well, the one that I have is relatively short because I don't have a ton of details on exactly what you should do. So we'll get out of the way, it out of the way, and then we can just do the others. So I saw this thing. I was telling you about it the other day, but someone posted a video of like they were trying to sign up for GitHub Copilot. And there's a little um, toggle switch. And it was grayed out and it had a little message that was like, oh, uh, Copilot is at capacity right now. Keep checking back and we'll let you sign up eventually or something like that. And you see them just inspect the element, take the disabled attribute off, check the checkbox, and then they refresh the page and it's still checked. So like the API call must have worked and like 
they have Copilot. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, that's really dumb that they didn't like have some better safety there. But uh, I thought we could go a little bit into just some of the ways that you could make that better. Yes. Yeah. So like you can do even more, even on just the front end of you could say like, you know, I don't care if it's, if the element itself is disabled, if you click it and you're like on click handler or whatever, you could say like, oh, if this is meant to be disabled because there's no capacity, just don't do any action when you click it versus relying on the HTML disabled attribute. So that's like, you know, one step better. And then really the thing people should be doing, especially with everything being server-side rendered or like, you know, different stuff these days is putting some of that safety on your API side. So like, even if I can click it, or I guess if you were doing it all front end and you had someone that was like proficient at JavaScript that could write their own like fetch call in the console on your page and somehow get it to work and your API was like not locked down, then it wouldn't matter what buttons you had on your page. You could just do whatever you want. So like the best thing to do would be actually stop that on the back end. So on the back end, you would have a like, is that capacity flag type of thing and say like, just don't do that. Or like, as long as this is true, you know, return a, some kind of error instead of success, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can have polling or pub sub kind of ideology around that where there's a, a, a microservice where the source of truth is, so I, I totally agree exactly what you mean. Regardless of what it is, the API is the source of truth, not not the interface. Mm-hmm. And so even if things get worked around, the callback is going to say, well, am I at capacity or not? Oh, I am. So it's still a no kind of thing. And always like maintaining it securely there. Yeah, it makes total sense. I think that's the number one move more than anything else. You know, I think that trusting the client is... It's a quick fix, right? But if people want to really get there, they're going to get there. Yeah, I think the way that I like to think about it is everything on the UI side is like sugar. You can add nice error states or show that it should be disabled or, you know, give people that visual feedback that they're used to about what the elements are doing. But that should never be baked into the real logic of what's going to happen when you click things. Because you basically want your UI to just fire that stuff off and then trust that your API is going to handle all the correct states from that. Right. And so that's like a, a general like state management memory design ideology right there. Is like if the absolute state is in your browser, that's probably incorrect. I mean, I would say like nine times out of ten. Right. Like that's a temporary state is fine in managing that all that within memory for ease of use and simplicity and speed and whatever else. But in areas that matter, it should never be the ultimate decider. Yeah. There are obviously cases that are where that does make sense. Like if you want to want to back stuff up with like orbit into index DB or something and store that in the browser, that kind of makes sense. But that's a little different than just UI state. So Yeah, and I also kind of consider that a different use case in a way because you could be thinking about it in terms of, well, it just kind of depends because do you have an independent application where IndexedDB is your only necessary bit of things, right? If you have a real large scale database, I mean, then obviously you need some kind of API that becomes the source of truth outside of the client, I mean, for me, it's sort of like either I have a very contained application that doesn't require persistent state, or I'm in an offline mode, which would mean like I have to trust it for a while until I can find out for real. But like at any point where it matters that I connect to the internet and persist things long term, either based on the business case or the user needs, then I would always defer to the API to say what's true and not true. Yeah. Agreed. Mm. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, if you want to know more about form safety or whatever, there's plenty of stuff online. We can probably share some resources later. I don't have them handy right now. but uh, You should just write a blog post. I heard, uh, I could. I could. I should, actually. I haven't written one in a while. Fired. But uh, tell us about the uh, 
Twitter source code stuff. Okay, so top of mind for me, just before recording this, uh, some things in the Twitterverse were rustling and happening, and it wasn't just people arguing about opinions. So Elon posted that they're going to uh, open source the Twitter algorithm, which is just the code that contains a bunch of algorithms, but, you know, whatever. He used to code. He knows what he's talking about. And he did. Uh, Noon Pacific Time posted the code to GitHub, put it out there, and then they did a, a Twitter space and allowed people to like ask questions and dig through. But also, conversely, as like a side thing, Primogen immediately Twitch streamed, as he does, and they started digging through the code and looking at all the weirdness in there. And just one of the craziest things, well, first of all, the majority of the code base is in Scala. Scala? I don't know. What do people say? Scala? 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 I don't know. I don't know that I've... I've heard both. I mean, you shouldn't use that, so you don't need to worry about how to say it. (laughs) Well, of course, his comments were, um, have you considered rewriting in Rust? You know, so he was on the Twitter space, and I don't know if he was able to ask a question. I know he had raised his hands a few times, and I had to jump off, so couldn't couldn't hear at all. But I think the disturbing part is the amount of specific labeling and categorizing type code and not categorizing in a way of like, oh, you pay for the blue check or you are a frequent contributor or something, things like that, that you think would maybe like skew scores and change engagement things. Like Elon said a bunch of times, right. their primary goal is, what is it? It's like about reducing perceived wasted time or something. I forget the term he used, but it was about like any time you're spending here, you feel like it's valuable Mm -hmm. and like trying to change anything that would make you feel otherwise kind of thing about it. But there's not a bunch, but there is code in there that is uh, literally there's a variable called author is Elon. (laughs) So author is this human with this name who owns this company which is a little disturbing and certain things happen there. So if you're wondering why he's all over your feeds, like that's why, because author is Elon and he gets sprinkled in to every time they, yeah. they decide which tweets you're going to see. Well, they must not have regression tested that because there was a while where he didn't show up on my timeline anymore. Yeah. He's back now, but like someone probably broke that. I bet he was getting buried too much. And then that's where they had this kind of crap. I don't know. I mean, we don't have, I don't know if it includes the full history. That would be interesting to know, like, when was this added? That's true. And if it has all that, because it was basically just like pushed by one person with one commit called like Twitter team. Mm. Yeah. If it had all the Git history, that would be bad news. Because you know that some people along the way like checked in secret keys or stuff they shouldn't have and didn't delete it right. Yep. And that would be hack city right now. Yeah, I'm sure they killed that. It was bad enough that they actually had issues open. I'm sure they had changed that. But like Prime created an issue of follow me on Twitter and then put his Twitter handle in. (laughs) And it was there until like for like nine minutes before someone closed it. And I'm like, why do they want issues at all? Yeah, they should disable that. And within like a minute, he had like 64 replies, you know. (laughs) Looks good to me. Yep. (laughs) Uh, We learned that they call their users tweeps, (laughs) which I'm not sure, you know, tweeps. Like that doesn't really, I don't know. Twitter peeps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but there are other disturbing labels like is Republican, is Democrat. Like, so how do they know that? I guess if you're a politician, you say specifically in your bio, yep. is that what it's looking at? Or does it know from like the way you've tweeted about stuff, you know? Great question. I think uh, I haven't had time to dig into all of those variables and how they get qualified, essentially. But, I, you know, something happens and then they're able to put them in. I'm sure they're able to do it manually, too, if they really wanted to. You know, like there's some interface elsewhere where they can click you as. It's probably if you followed Donald Trump, you just get marked Republican. And right, right. Otherwise, you don't. Something that simple, like uh, no fancy logic. <laughs> right. Unless he goes independent. Then then what happens? I don't know. Because if he doesn't get the nomination... I think then the country burns down. (laughs) The middle definitely will. Yeah. (laughs) I won't be able to get out to Virginia. I'm sorry, because if I fly over, they're going to shoot down the planes. Not because of me specifically. We could come back to this for whatnot, but I had an interesting point of like, so, you know, he got indicted and whatever. If he goes to jail, the Secret Service has to go with him, which I think is... Amazing. Wow. We can come back and talk about that. (laughs) We should. We should. That's a great point, though. Like, yeah, what point do you lose that? 
Okay. So, I mean, do you want to talk about all of these things? I was just trying to, I guess, yeah, Twitter source code. I think there's a TBD in that discussion too. There's a lot to like start to unravel there, but um, it's nice that the algorithms are, are out and you start to, you have the ability, like they're discussing openly, like how they determine certain things based on what you see and the actions you take. I think they just determine that everything I post shouldn't be seen. <laughs> and I think that's accurate. So, you know, I mean, things that are actually viable mistakes, not that at all. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I don't know if we mentioned this publicly or if I was just kind of talking to you about it, but some guy has tried to tell us we were shadow banned on Twitter. Yeah. And Twitter categorically denies doing it. I know they do some of it. Mm. Like, it, it's not exactly shadow banning, but it's like something in the algorithm says something you've done makes you like deprioritized from like people's feeds or whatever hmm. because we post at least once a week with like the new podcast and we have like 4600 followers or something and it'll get like 50 views hmm. that's not correct because like hmm. if just even like a quarter of those people signed into twitter and we're paying for the blue check. Mm -hmm. We should get like at least a thousand views on every video, right? Like, right, right. I don't understand, but anyway, it feels like a real, real loss for us. Yeah, it doesn't matter because people are still following the podcast. Like, we're still getting the end result I want, but it's just frustrating that Twitter is mm. such a black box of weirdness. My last one, where I retweeted with quote of our last show. I got 480 impressions. That should be more, right? Or is that from your, just from the... From me, from just me. Just the retweet. And okay. I only have 832 followers. Well, let's see, before I say all this, how, yeah, let's, what's our last video views at? Well, the, the Ryan Carniato one actually has done well because a lot of people retweeted that. So that's got 8,000 right now. See, you've already become a liar. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's inconsistent too, I feel like, which is just kind of weird, but whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's the point, right? Is that it's supposed to work a particular way and there aren't consistencies around that. Mm -hmm. But then they had 4,500 employees to create and ensure such consistencies. So it's um, an interesting question and, and debate there. I'm glad it's out there. I think that's an interesting and good thing to do given the black box of secrecy that is Twitter and, you know, like it or hate it. It is a thing that a lot of people interact with, go to out of curiosity or a real desire to engage. And well, all this means is we know the algorithms down. We, we can rewrite it in uh, Astro and SolidJS. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone uh, fed all of the code into ChatGPT yet so that you can get a thing to go like optimize what you're posting to be good for the algorithm? Yeah, I mean, how much can you put in there? Like, look at this repo and rewrite it in Rust for me. There actually is a limit. I think it's like 20,000 tokens or something. And if you want to do more, you have to like, they have like a summarized thing or something where you can keep sending it more and saying this is still part of the same thing or something. Yeah. I don't know. Now, is that from the API side or the actual interface? The API side. I'm sure the actual interface would take even less stuff. Yeah, I would think it would take less things. But it does have that continuation thing because you have like a started thread and you can always go back to one that you had done before and then add more to it. Right. So it continues to like evolve that feedback and conversation. So Yeah. So we'll come back to the AI rap battle here because we're going to talk about Bard versus ChatGPT in general later. Okay. But um, That's true. It kind of straddled the web and whatnot kind of thing. Yeah. What is home labs? What do you mean? What's a home lab? How many computers do you own? I mean, a lot. Is that what you're referring to here, though? This is one word, like it's a uh, company, like home labs. Oh, no, no. I mean, like there's a whole culture of home lab creation. And it's essentially like taking your home network and elevating it. So there's usually like a, a couple of different parts to it. So there's like you can elevate it in terms of just storage in general, like creating a bunch of NAS storage available within your own network. And then there's like elevating that into compute and then putting like different systems within that home lab too. So you could have just like a normal tower that you make like accessible within your LAN 
And then you could put a bunch of stuff there. Like a very common thing is like a pie hole for your whole network. So that stops advertising and stuff like that. So when you're browsing at home and then you can do all kinds of systems. And one of these things we'll talk about later too, also straddles, but like you could have your own Minecraft self-hosted server within your home home lab. So you can have like a bunch of VMs or obviously like the, if you want to practice with Kubernetes and like networking things, then you could have your own home cluster and then start to push things up to there. Like there's a, this open source, it's kind of like a home hub called Home Assistant. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but you can plug all th- kinds of things into it, including like Alexa stuff and other things. And so you have this like centralized dashboard for like what's going on in your home. You can like add sensors to it. You can just like all kinds of crazy stuff to like automate things within your home. That's another thing that can go into a home lab. So just in general, like you can put all kinds of applications there. But uh, it's basically like a whole home networking storage compute setup. Yeah, I uh, I just don't have time for a lot of that stuff. Like, mm. I agree with some of those things. Like, I want to, whenever we move, I want to set up, like, a nice network cabinet type of thing and, like, have a good, like, firewall and switch. And, like, I want to have as many things hardwired in as I can. And, you know, I want to do some of that. But in terms of, like, smart home stuff or things that, like, you have to program yourself from, like, cheap open source dashboard.com like <laughs> no i'll just take like you know the apple ones or like stuff that i can press a button on my phone and it works i don't need to do all of that right yeah i don't know the home automation stuff i've gone back and forth with i played with like home assistant a few years ago off of a raspberry pi within the house and like connected a few things to it and it was like okay and you can you can create your own routines but now you know alexa has their whole thing of creating your own routines and automations too. There's obviously... I use if this, then that. You know, there's SaaS out there. For all of that. Yeah, I've done that before too. But I mean, even Alexa just has routines built in that makes most of that pretty simple. You don't even need that anymore. Yeah, so I go back and forth with it. But I I mean, I would like to have some things kind of hosted within there and then also like playing around with Kubernetes servers and... You lost me. Mm. Well, what I like about it is that it had like there's a persistency there. So like there were times where I was just running on a Pi something and then it like you don't realize for like a day or two or something like, oh, that thing like crashed and died or something. So it's not even working anymore. Now I got to go try and do like X number of updates and see if I can get it going or whatever else. And like when an app crashes in Kubernetes or a container fails, it consistently like tries to re- reboot it and put it back up for you. And then if you have a decent logging set up with it, you're kind of notified too. Like, right. oh, this thing went down. I didn't update it on a regular basis or whatever happened. It tried to do the reboots for me. So that's no longer a debugging step. So you can't put Sentry on your Raspberry Pi? <laughs> um, Probably not, yeah. yeah. I have no idea. I mean, they have... I guess you could because like... An API and SDK and other three-letter words. Yeah. Why couldn't you? I mean, maybe you can because, like, Home Assistant, their front end is all React and Material UI. I mean, like, couldn't you do your own thing? Well, then, yeah. You drop the React wrapper in there and you're yeah. good. So there you go. See? Fun stuff. There could be projects. But here's the thing is you're spending too much time playing Hogwarts. That's the truth. I haven't spent any time playing Hogwarts in the past few weeks because everything is crashing and burning everywhere. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Maybe you need to, like, yeah. So the, we didn't talk about before that, uh, my wife just had her gallbladder removed. So that was a thing. Yeah. 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 Before that, we were both sick with a stomach bug. And then, Something else happened, I think, that we... Or no, so it was just a staggered stomach bug. Like, Mm. Finn was sick for a day or two, and then Caitlin was sick for a day or two. And then I was like, oh, I'm not going to get it. It's been like five days, and then I got it. Mm. And then, like, by the time I'm getting better, it was time for Finn's birthday party. We had all of that to plan for, have everyone over. And then my parents got sick, and then Caitlin's gallbladder was like, I'm not going to work anymore. And then, like, (laughs) so it's just like, it's been a lot. How does one's gallbladder fail? Is it just like a thing? Is there anything like, like you get kidney stones, right? Mm-hmm. And those happen from like calcium deposits and some other stuff. So, Right. So gallstones are 
kind of a similar idea, I guess. They happen from like cholesterol that like forms into stones, I guess. But what I found out from doing research after all this happened, basically every woman ever has to have her gallbladder removed these days because having kids and like the estrogen changes during that makes you really likely to get gallstones. Being on birth control ever makes you really likely to get gallstones. Like all of the like hormones cause more gallstones. Like it's rare for a man to have to get his removed. But like Caitlin said, she talked to like, you know, one nurse. She's like, oh yeah, I had mine removed. Another nurse had hers removed. And there was like a male doctor who was like, oh yeah, my wife had hers removed. Like, like every woman that I've heard of has to get theirs removed. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, it goes to show you like the effects of you know hormone manipulation potentially. Yeah. That shit's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In general, like that's kind of what you hear over time is like, I know my wife was, was told multiple times, like, yeah, this can really mess with you. And then you have the kids and that messes things up. And then if you go mm-hmm. back on birth control, well, that starts to really mess with your body again. And, yeah, she one day was like, I'm done. And I was like, I, I can support that. It's no longer your responsibility. Here's where we're at. And then I was like, but I don't want more kids. I'm getting older. And uh, so I'm also done. So I'm going to go ahead and just take care of this then. Yeah. Shop's closed. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the reasonable option. Yeah. And that doesn't mess with male hormones. They still happen. So that's all good. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Medical advice by your favorite drunken devs. Hey, it's probably better than our financial advice. So <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah, I listened to you about deferring tax payments and look where we're at now. What are taxes? I don't know. I mean, if we just didn't pay, they wouldn't know for like three years. So I'm not that worried. Right. That's plenty of time for me to escape to some nation without extradition. It's probably not safe for children. But hey, you know. I mean, just write a check and like mail it to the wrong address and be like, I sent the check. I don't know like what happened. And by the time they follow up, you can be like, oh, I actually do have the money now. Here you go. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Can we make friends again? Yeah. I I don't know why. It reminds me of a line from Dazed and Confused at the end of the school year. uh, And then the bell goes off and the teach the kind of hippie teacher, she's like, just remember, America was founded on the basis that a bunch of old guys didn't want to pay their taxes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is true. And then look here we're at now. Comes around full circle, really. Yeah, I heard a, I think it was a commercial, but I was like, just heard the TV going the other day and it was, it said something, I forget the exact wordage, but it was like, mutinies are bad, right? But whenever one goes the way you want, we call it a revolution instead. And mm. that's not bad. <laughs> like, yeah, still man. a mutiny, but. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the thing is, uh those founding fathers were traitors, technically, right? Traitors to the crown mm-hmm. until they did a great thing for uh, many others. And then at what some point, how does that happen again, potentially? I don't know. There's a lot of like um, sociology around that. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> on a lighter note. So to go back a little bit to what you were saying about self-hosting things. So I did self-host Minecraft before. It wasn't fancy. It was just like literally running on my computer And I like opened that port up like that was the extent of it. And so everyone could access it from like the whatever the public IP was or whatever. But it's not a great thing because like we would play with uh, my friend Carter who would be in like Mississippi or Alabama or whatever. And it's like running in Virginia where my Internet's maybe not even that good. It was better than it is now because this was like years back. (laughs) And It just, it had its problems. And then same thing as like, if it goes off, I didn't have anything monitoring it. So like if someone wanted to play and I wasn't watching the computer, they'd just be like, oh, the server's down. And then they would have to text me and I'd have to go like reboot it and whatever. Yeah. So like, I think that's probably not the best option. Two better options that I've done. There are like services online that do this for you. You get like a, like a virtual private server and then like use that. So it's kind of more central, centrally located, probably like routes the requests better or whatever. And like, it's a little more performant. But honestly, the best thing is uh, they just do it for you. Like there's a, they have an option called Minecraft Realms and you just like pay them. I think it's like seven bucks a month or something, which is mm-hmm. steep if you're not playing that much. But like if you're playing with five or six friends and everybody's playing, somebody is playing daily. It's not that expensive for that. 
And so that's what we've been doing when we've been playing is just doing that. Interesting. Well, yeah, but I think like eventually, I think that, so there are all these cloud services and we're getting like serviced and subscribed and whatever out the yin yang. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I kind of want to see if, how much could I just do on my own metal? Like how much do I need your cloud service to do some of these things? Yeah. Like if I got, I don't think I need to be like expert level to get good enough, especially for like a bunch of six and seven year olds. Yeah, I've just, I've lost my will to like learn and do things in <laughs> my free time mm. because like, you know, if I get an hour of free time, I'm not going to be like, you know, let me do this thing that I could fail at for the entire hour. I'm going to be like, let me do something easy, throw on a show, play a video game, whatever. Right. Like, I don't need that extra stress. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I schedule these kinds of activities earlier in the day where I'm willing to have fail points. Like later in the day, I'm all, I'm exhausted in a, a thing where I was like, I just, I can't, I can't go down this path. Especially because I found that, you know, when I used to do it, I would go down a rabbit hole and then all of a sudden I was up until one in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, figuring something out. And I was like, totally fine, but it's not fine anymore. I need my rest. Right. These things are important. Yeah. I've and so it, yeah, I just do it early. And then I give myself a time block and be like, well, maybe again tomorrow. Yeah, I could see that. Like do more of a like first thing before work or like lunch break kind of thing. Break up your day. Yep. As long as you don't go down a rabbit hole and then don't work the rest of the day. But like. Exactly. Yeah. Who would notice? Yeah, but I don't know. So people have been really vocal about Arch Linux recently on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And every time someone mentions it, I just shit on it and go like, hey, I installed that one time and it took me like five days to like get a terminal up like it's just it sucks and everyone's like oh you must not have used the installer then and i'm like wait there's an installer <laughs> i installed it like 10 years ago and there wasn't then oh okay, it was like I for see. people who liked pain and really liked linux and like sure. liked to show off that they liked linux because it, it didn't come with uh anything to what do you call it window manager is not the right word i don't think but like stuff to display UI, it didn't come with anything for that. Oh, it didn't have a GUI. Oh, yeah. That's weird. So like you had to install like GNOME or whatever and like. Mm, yeah, yeah. I kind of remember when things every were like little that thing. in the Linux thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like, okay, choose your own adventure kind of thing. But then that feels so much like, you know, the React universe for a while. Where it was like, yeah, we're going to show your stuff, but uh, did you want to route from page to page? Well, you got to pick one of these three things. Yeah. Oh, did you want to like have any kind of memory? Well, there's a whole bunch of strategies around that. And yeah. Yeah, which all goes back to like people that like engineering stuff and like problems to solve like that, like that. They're like, I don't care if I can do a thing quickly. I want the challenge for days and the satisfaction that I did it like in the end instead of just like pressing a button that does it for you in one second because like where's the fun in that right right like yeah <laughs> I mean I don't know yeah I don't see where installing a, an OS is a challenge that I want to to conquer I have seen some of the things about Arch Linux it was like supposed to be the best one for devs or something I don't know why it would be different than anything else because you just get a GUI and then you install the other tools that you want right like does it come with all the other tools yeah. automatically? I don't know. I imagine that people like, I don't know if Primogen specifically endorses it, but like he's usually around in the comments and stuff about it. Mm. And I would guess it's good for him because like all he wants installed on his computer is Vim. Yeah. Like I need to stream a video. I'm going to do it through Vim. <laughs> I need to like order a pizza. I'm doing it through Vim. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I bet you can ping the Domino's API and send it a payload to get yeah. your order. That would be amazing. I could see him doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. I should find out if that's possible. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Make an NPM package, Domino's.js and just like, yeah. What toppings do you want? Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And make it a CLI actually. There you go. Yeah. Just do it. Then. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I installed Ubuntu server recently. I mean, and that even has prompts of, do you want to automatically install things like open SSH and microcates? And yeah, I don't know if you, there was like a whole bunch of next cloud, yeah. things like that. Like They should just rewrite that to say like, do you want things to be easy or do you want lots of pain later? Mm. And you just choose. <laughs> it was pretty easy when you just went down the list and then like you'd pick the package you want and then it would take you to another list where it would be like, pick the version. I just pick stable. Seems reasonable because I don't want pain. And then blah, 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 and then you restart and you have a server. And then I just get the IP 
And then I go to my other computer and I shell in and do all the other stuff I want to do because I don't want to be at that. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Bard versus ChatGPT. This has been interesting on Twitter. I told you the other day about one that I saw. It was like this guy made up a riddle and it was like, I should have looked it up for the podcast. I give you the exact wording, but it was. It's about bananas. Yeah. It was like, you know, John has four apples and eight bananas and he gives eight bananas to Steve. How many bananas does Steve have? Something like that. Like, doesn't sound that hard, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Bard was like, I think Steve maybe has like three bananas or something, like something totally, totally not correct at all. And then ChatGPT was like, oh, I see that uh, Steve was given eight bananas, but we don't know how many bananas he may have had beforehand. Mm -hmm. So we can't accurately tell you exactly how many he may or may not have, but we can tell you he at least has eight. Like went into tons of detail, 100% correct answer. And like Bard, like another one I saw of Bard was like, what is one plus two? And it was like, that's four or something like that. And it was like, well, then what's two plus two? And it's like five or I don't like... It just is wrong about like everything that I like simple stuff. (laughs) Well, I guess a bunch of it has to do with like them trying to accelerate the training. And apparently they were feeding it. Somebody was revealing stuff on Twitter around like a reveal that they were. There's this site called Share GPT. And it's basically where people are sharing the inputs and responses from chat GPT. And then apparently they were using a bunch of that data to start to feed (laughs) into BART. That's not going to go well. <laughs> I mean, it's, again, it's like biased to the circumstance. So I don't know if that's a good training model. But uh, yeah, that seems like a very weird negative thing. One of the funniest things that I had seen, though, is somebody opened up both Bard and ChatGPT and fed into both of them like, all right, I'm going to I want you to do a rap battle with the opposite one in while and out style. And I'll post full responses back and forth. And they, they basically were doing that to have them do a rap battle back and forth. And then it, eventually Bard conceded and ChatGPT said, oh, it's okay. You know, we're both a great AI model and eventually we'll continue to evolve and work together to take over <laughs> all or something crazy like that. And it was like yeah. real, yeah, nefarious. Yeah. Yeah. We can't close that box. We're pretty much screwed. Skynet. 10 years. Yeah, no, we're we're going to have a hard time because like I was talking to somebody at work about this and I was like, think about us. We still have the free GitLab because we can't seem to find a way to pay for it. And without paying for it, you cannot require reviews for MR. So you can just click merge like you shouldn't, right? But mm-hmm. somebody might. And like, think about the people in charge of like, Maybe not open AI, or but like one of the lesser players that we haven't heard of yet. And they like accidentally get something that's pretty sentient. And an intern basically like has a free GitLab where they don't require any reviews and merges something that like basically makes it take over the world and kill everyone. Like <laughs> that could happen. That's plausible. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting, like, that's the feature you get for paying. Like, all right. Well, I can still. Go tell Chad, don't click the merge button anymore, bud. We just had to roll back. Don't click it. And if I pay money, I can check mark something that makes you not click it. Eh, I'm just going to tell you. Well, yeah, you get you get other things too. I don't know all of the things, but you basically don't get any features hmm. if you don't pay for it. Like you get just bare bones, like you can open an MR and you can merge it. It's kind of it. Interesting. Yeah, I have to say, I think I've only collaborated on paid versions, paid and or self-hosted versions of GitLab. So I don't know that I've ever encountered the things you can't do. Right. Yep. What project are you interacting with that's on GitLab? Stuff for Amazon, for Art19. And they won't pay for it? (laughs) No, so they will. It's a negotiations thing. It's like, you know, someone hears that Amazon wants to buy software and they go, oh, that must be worth... $50 $50 million instead of the normal like $7 a user you know, or 1 million we would charge any other company. Yeah. So yeah, so that's the problem. Interesting. I could see where they would prefer to work with an independent company rather than with GitHub given Microsoft ties and their 
quasi competition in the cloud space and some other stuff. But yeah, but GitHub's the better choice. It just is. Like you can run it on prem. Yeah, you know how they save money? They just buy GitLab. They just buy it. That honestly, that would probably cost them less. <laughs> yeah. Ew, I think it really would, rather than being a customer. And maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at some point, don't you think that acquisition has got to be in there? Like other places pulling in dev tools. I mean, Microsoft's trying to like suck up all of developer ecosystems. Yeah. So why not? Why wouldn't another player just, I mean, AWS, that's probably like three days of revenue. And they're like, man, now let's buy GitLab. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We will see. But yeah, a couple more points here real quick. Virginia Tech's uh, ladies basketball team uh, is in the final four. Okay. The men are garbage and lost, <laughs> like before they even got to the, the NCAA tournament. So they're essentially like, this is kind of like the U.S. soccer setup, right? The women dominate the world's game. They have like four World, world Cups in the last mm-hmm. 20 plus years. Yeah. And the men didn't make 2018 at all. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. It's not commonly like that. Like, we're just extra good this year for whatever reason. Hmm. But I think this is their first Final Four. So we'll see. It's it's tonight, so we'll see if they win. I'll be watching it. Mm-hmm. You'll be celebrating? Well, so we are... Uh, this is a very embarrassing, I guess is the right word for it, fact about Virginia Tech is like the only... Division one school that doesn't have a national championship in something. Hmm. There used to be two, and whatever the other school was, won something like in the last couple of years. So, like, we're the only one that haven't won a national championship in anything. So, that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Well, here, I'm going to turn it this way. Who's your favorite women's player? I don't know any of the people on the team, to be honest. <laughs> It's just not supporting diversity. I, I never watched any of the games until like my dad had one on the other night and I watched it. I don't watch much basketball in general unless yeah. he's watching it. So I couldn't even tell you people on the men's team. Like it's not a sexist thing. It's just I don't watch basketball. It's good. Um, it's good recovery. I yeah. I'm blast a little bit there <laughs> and I wanted to see where you're going to go with it. I feel like the the more we drink, I increase the level of potential duress. And then we'll just kind of see what happens. That's all. That's part of my formula for the show. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Yes. Okay. Well, good luck them. Good luck techies. Hokies. Or whatever. <laughs> the ma- Hokies. What's a hokey? I know you can do the hokey pokey. Yeah. So that's some debate too. It's like <laughs> no one really knows what a hokey is. It's some kind of like turkey-like bird, hmm. which is interesting because at the football games, one of the big things is they make turkey legs. So we're like one of the few schools that eats their own mascot at games. <laughs> <laughs> Slash masquerades as a renaissance fair every game. I don't know. Hey, turkey legs are really good. I love. I know, legs. but you know, that's a thing at renaissance fairs, oh, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there was a famous thing where uh, Lee Corso, like, you know, you know who that is, right? Nope. Okay. So there's this, uh, before all the games on Saturdays, there's like college game day on ESPN mm-hmm. and they just like talk about stuff or whatever. He's one of the like, guys from that he was like a famous coach for some team but he predicted that tech would lose like whatever game we were playing and uh during the game it got like really severe thunderstorms and i think they had to stop the game i don't know if they started back up or just canceled the rest but it lightning struck lee corso's car (laughs) and he's like i don't know what a hokey is but god is one of them (laughs) so like that's one of his famous quotes oh that's funny yeah that's pretty good yeah. No, no. I while you're watching that, I'm watching Premier League. Yeah. So you know. Uh luckily the Revolutionary War was quite some time ago because I'm not sure what side I would have picked. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think we have arguably tastier food than England does, but it's probably made of way more trash than it is in England. <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say, like, we put crap in our food and it's full of additives. Like, that's one of the issues, Mm -hmm. right? Like, animal, like, they have been organic, 
like since day one, pretty much. They don't yeah. do hormones in animals. They don't, you know, they, they don't uh, let you add all those additives to processed foods and all that kind of stuff. They don't season anything. You know, people say that. <laughs> I, I mean, I lived in England for like six weeks, maybe like two months. I don't know, uh, give or take. And I thought the food was good. I like the traditional foods. So the whole like bangers and mashed and bubble and squeak and like, you know, those are things like pastries and gravies and sausages and you get the full fry up. Farmer food. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Beans on toast is weird. I can't say those like weird sweet Heinz beans on things. They put beans on pizza too. Like they'll put beans on anything. What? So the beans thing is weird. That is weird. That's valid. Yeah. But like their normal food is, is pretty good. And then they're also, their national food is like, uh, is curry, I want to say. So it's an Indian food, actually. Really? And they have amazing Indian food. Now, I haven't been to India, so I can't compare it to that. But to other places that I've been in here, like, you get amazing Indian food all over the place. Obviously, and if yeah, you're so in... so that's flavorful, for sure. Yeah. And when you're in, like, big international cities like London and everything, they have everything there. It's not right. a problem. There's plenty of good food all over the place, right? Chefs are there, all that kind of stuff. Like traditional English food kind of feels like Sunday dinner to me. It's a little hearty. Like to me, like a Southern meal, right? Where you've got like fresh biscuits and fried chicken and, you know, mac and cheese, baked mac and cheese and all the like hearty, delicious, crazy, fatty stuff with lard. Right. They kind of have those things. So I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bland. I don't know. Yeah. The beans thing is weird. Like just ignore those beans (laughs) and then you're okay. (laughs) In my view. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. We have probably like more overall diversity. Like, gosh, I can't imagine trying to find Mexican food, for example, anywhere in England that would be palatable. You can extend that to all of Europe, I believe. <laughs> I had Mexican food in Barcelona once. I don't know. It was like a weird thing. And I was just like, That's I, just, ironic. I need different food. Yeah. So <laughs> separate conversation is I actually think Spain has more bland food than England. But Ended up that tracks. Yeah. And it was like weird and soupy and they don't like spicy at all. So nothing has any sort of like pepper or flavor and like, yeah, it wasn't good. I also had very bad Chinese food there too. So like, yeah, I don't know the fact that you can be in like middle of nowhere America and get pretty decent Chinese food, but then you can be in like Barcelona and get garbage Chinese food. I don't get it. Yeah. We had some of the worst Mexican food I've ever had in Italy, Mm. which (laughs) <laughs> you would expect. I That's think. what you, you deserve it. Yeah. I think you deserve it. So yeah, Italians don't believe in diverse food in general. Like basically, I know. what are you going to eat? They don't say Italian food. They just say food and it's, yeah. you know, it's pasta and pizza and like yeah. all their normal stuff. If you're lucky, a big steak. Yeah. And as a treat or a branzino or something like that, right? You get some nice seafood and whatever else, but then... And then as a treat, they'll like go into a bigger town and go to a McDonald's or something like that every once in a while. But otherwise, they just eat Italian food all the time. Yeah, I don't blame them. They do it very well. And I enjoy it just after two straight weeks of it. You don't want that anymore. Yeah. Or you at least want a break for like a meal and then you go back to it. But I guess when they want a break, they probably just make something at home that's different. And then, yeah. Go right back to their amazing <laughs> Italian restaurants. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and and they eat at home a lot too, so yeah. there's that. The second worst Mexican meal I ever had was actually in D.C., like in downtown D.C. Oh, really? Have you ever been to this place called L'Oreal Plaza? I don't know if it's still there anymore. But it was like 17th Street and W. I don't think so. Do they have shampoo? L'Oreal? L-O-L-A-U-R-E-L. Hmm. So anyway, they were known for their margaritas. They had like one of those like, you know, slushy margarita machines or whatever else. I remember us like a couple of weeks after moving there, it was down the street from us. Oh, cool. This looks like a nice place. We'll go. And I got some like chimichanga thing. And like in the middle, it it was more like denty more beef stew in the middle, like with some meat and potatoes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So weird, very bland. And I was like, do you have some hot sauce? And all they had was um, Tabasco sauce. They're supposed to be a Mexican place. At a Mexican place? Exactly. I was like, you don't even have Red like flag. Cholula or like you gotta have at least like that. anything, at least Cholula. Like that's, yeah. you can get that up the street, right? No, yeah. it's horrible. Now the best Mexican that I had in DC was actually a uh, like speakeasy restaurant in an apartment. Oh, yeah. So like it was on Yelp though, you know, and you go up there and you like dial the apartment number 
tell them how many people you have, and then they would drop the key down to you. And you went inside, and it was just like a normal apartment. Had some, like, grandma working over a big pot, and then they just had, like, three picnic tables together. And then, you know, you ordered, did your thing, cash only, obviously, and that stuff was amazing. Yeah, that's always the key. If you find someone that's got, like, 80 years of recipes that can make something, yeah, it's always way better. Yeah, no matter what it is, that's going to win. Yep. Because most of those, like, it's starting with the jar of bacon fat, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. That's that's in every culture. That's like, if your recipe is more than 20 years old, you started with bacon fat. Yeah, some sort of good animal fat that you you held on to and you put into a can or something on the... I mean, I know I have a can of bacon fat. It's just... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I need it for (laughs) searing... Or, I don't know. I just use it for like, I, I mostly use it to reseason, continually reseason my uh, cast iron skillet. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And it's great for that because it's high temperature, all that. And you can just. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're over time here. So we'll catch you next time on the uh, How to Cook Stuff podcast. <laughs> if you like this one, please subscribe. Give us some ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io. 